real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a skilled and energetic motivational speaker, coach, and trainer. For more than 20 years, she has inspired hundreds of people with her passionate stand of abundance. Please welcome to the show, Liz Wolf. Thank you so much for having me on, Sarah. It's really wonderful to be here. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to have you. And can you give the listeners a little bit of your story and background? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I always like people to know about me is that I grew up on a sheep farm. And if you noticed in the show notes or et cetera, is that my last name is actually Wolf. So, and I grew up on a sheep farm. So I've, I've heard every <laughs> jo- joke about that, that you could possibly mm-hmm. want to, to say. And we literally, when I was about five years old, my mother, we were living this lovely life in Pittsburgh and my mother decided she had had enough of that. And she wanted to moved to the country. And so she bought a farm and that part was okay with my dad. And then she started buying sheep. So we got up to about 300 sheep at one point. So we had to do something with these sheep. And eventually my mother and father parted ways and he moved back to the city. And so that left us to find our way financially. And that turned into making and selling woolen products. And we would go to these festivals and fairs and we would spin wool. And sometimes we would even take sheep there and shear the sheep, which my mother learned to do. And that was how we earned money. That was what we did. And we would have to work to create that. Wow, that's awesome. I feel like if I went to a trade show or whatever, and someone was standing there just selling wool, but just by itself, I probably wouldn't be that inclined to buy anything. But if the sheep is there and you're like, (laughs) I think I would definitely, because I love animals. I don't care what animal it is. I love them all. And so I think I would definitely be, I mean, the fact that there's an animal there, I'm going to automatically go over there and say hi to it or whatever. And then I would buy whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And that was really what we were doing. We brought the sheep. That was not always, but we always brought a spinning wheel because we had the wool. We had the raw wool. We were selling yarn and we would show. So I have been literally speaking in front of live audiences since I was like 10 years old. And I was showing them how to card the wool and spin the wool. And I talked all about, you know, my mother taught us what to say. And so that was how we brought people. And, you know, it's interesting in having this conversation because I've never thought of it before this moment that really what we were doing for people was creating value for them. So a lot of times when you're selling, you have this sense like I have a product and you should buy it. 
And so now don't you just want to buy it? But one very effective sales technique is to not just show the quality, but to provide value. So we're educating people about wool, about sheep farming, all that stuff, things that they didn't know. So if nothing else, they walked away at least with that new piece of information. Yeah. And kind of showing them how even it's kind of educational, I guess, to show them how you do it. And did y'all ever... That would have been, how many years ago would have that been? This was like in the 70s. It was 1969 when my mom, now you got to understand, this is a whole feminist movement that was happening too. So when my mom first bought the farm, she literally could not, she was not allowed by law to rent a truck on her own to carry those sheep around. Oh, wow. Another quick funny story I'll tell you about my mom. We had these sheep and it was my mom and my two sisters and myself. So there were no men except for my dad, who if he ever listens to this, I will tell you, was extremely supportive. So it wasn't like we did it with no support. My dad was extremely supportive. However, all the farmers around, which were all dairy farms for the most part, were all men. So every year they would have a farmer's dinner and the feed store would sponsor the farmer's dinner and no women were allowed to come because it was the farmers. So my mother crashed the party. (laughs) She went to the Pritz's farm. She said, well, I'm a farmer and I buy my feed at Pritz's. So why can't I go? And do you know, after that, they started inviting the women, (laughs) the wives Mm -hmm. who worked just as hard on the farm as any regular farmer. So that was the times. Those were the times that were happening. And so this was like radical that my mother was, it was like unheard of to be a woman on your own. And maybe some of your listeners can relate to this from the perspective of feeling like trying to break into a business or do something where the most of the world is saying, you shouldn't do that. That's too hard. That's not going to work out. That's not normal for a woman to do that. And so we really had to be very inventive in figuring out how to support ourselves. Yeah. What I was going to say before I thought about that this was probably the 60s or 70s was you could even do like training courses online, (laughs) but that's like in the last 10, 20 years, that's irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that, but you know, it's so interesting that you say like, I think her business, we got to think about what are the tools we have available to us. So one of the ways we promoted our business is we printed up flyers and left them places. And now you run a Facebook ad or you get a Facebook group. People would come to the farm and we would give them a tour of the barn and we had our little shop set up in there. So we didn't just only sell from those festivals, but that was how we had to. It's like the equivalent of today's networking event where you go and you, you know, get on Zoom and you talk about your business. Well, that for us was like going to these festivals and handing out our cards and getting people to buy our things. So that's interesting to hear kind of how you started because you were almost kind of forced to be an entrepreneur, it sounds like. But then I guess at a certain point that became natural for you. What happened then after all the sheep stuff? What was (laughs) (laughs) that? Great great question. Well, yes, I was forced to. I, I love to tell the story about how my mother used to dress us up in colonial outfits. Now I'm 10, 12 years old, right? Think about yourself in seventh grade where your friends might walk by. Do you want to be in a colonial outfit? Probably not. But it was a really good training ground for me to be an entrepreneur. Of course, nobody said the word entrepreneur. We were like, it was really like survival. Mm -hmm. But we had to be very inventive 
And when I I went to college, because that was in my family, it was expected that you go to college, even though we were living in a place where it often wasn't expected. But my father was like, go to college. And I actually was a photography major in college. And I never worked a single day as a photographer in my life. And Later, that proved to be very instrumental in my transformation and learning to be a business coach because I got to see the pattern of how I would work really hard on something and then be like, oh, that's never going to work out. Because in photography school, they don't tell you how to be in business as a photographer. They just tell you how to take pretty pictures. And I moved to New York City. I actually wanted to be a singer. I still sing and I play the ukulele in case there's any ukulele players out there come to New York City and play the ukulele with me. And that didn't work out because no one tells you how to be successful as a musician in business. They just tell you, go sing really great. So I really had to learn through these until I finally hit on customer relationship management software, CRM training. I started to learn and help small businesses to implement technology. Now, this was in the 80s by now, actually early 90s. So it was new for everybody. Like, what? You don't have to use a Rolodex anymore. That's so cool. What? You can email it. So it was it was very impactful. But over time, it got less impactful because people got better at it. And so they didn't want to do training. They weren't as interested. So I got a little bit bored with that part of it. And it really all came together for me in to leaving the technology part behind and, and instead just focusing on business coaching for entrepreneurs. Now, I have a soft spot in my heart for entrepreneurs because I know that if my mother had had help from somebody like myself to start, launch, and grow a business and really be entrepreneurial, she would have done much, much better with it. So, that's where my passion for it comes. And that's what I do now. I solely focus on coaching entrepreneurs and helping them with sales, especially. One of the things that you cover are the biggest fears that people have selling their services, which I'm currently encountering as I have launched a podcast production agency. So I'm curious, I guess, the different roadblocks that people hit when it comes to selling, pricing, cold outreach, or even warm outreach? Yeah, well, of course, I I have a lot to say about this. You cannot be a successful business person without sales. I've had some amazing marketing coaches. And as much as I've learned everything I can about, you know, making my website convert and all that stuff, at the end of the day, you got to get on the phone or do something to get people to actually buy your services. Most of us have to actually speak to a human being to get them to buy our services or our products. So I would say the number one thing that people do not like about selling is they feel like they're going to be pushy or salesy. They're going to sound like a used car salesman. That's really an interesting dynamic because what ends up happening is that means we don't end up following up with people. So I have a sales challenge, a five-day sales challenge that I did recently. And I asked in a poll, how many times do you follow up with somebody? Let's say you have a sales conversation with somebody and then they say, okay, I'll think about it. So the question was, how many times do you follow up? Once, two or three times, four to six times, or I never stop following up. Well, some choices like that. I think the first time I did it, 100% of the people said one time and then they wait to see if the person responds. Mm. 
And it takes an average of eight times to make a sale, (laughs) eight touches to make a sale. I think the second time I did it, some of the people were repeat. So they're like, I do it three times. I'm like, well, it's still not quite enough. So we're having that interaction. We're following up once and then we're waiting because we don't want to appear pushy. So one of the things I recommend that you can do to help you avoid that experience is don't get off the phone with somebody until you have actually had some conversation about what their process is for their making their decision. Mm. You want to know, are you going to think about this? Are you going to make a decision this week? And it sounds a little bold. So when will I hear back from you? So what are your thoughts? Like you have to ask Mm. people. (laughs) So what do you think? Are you interested in buying or are you going to buy my production services? No, I'm not ready to do that yet. Great. Okay. I understand. Of course, I would expect you to think about it. So how long are you going to think about it? When can I follow up with you? Most people's blood is draining from their faces right now. Like, what? I'm going to ask them. Yeah, because otherwise you're going to be like, well, how many times you follow up with them? So when you follow up that first time, how do you decide... Let's say they respond and they say, oh, I'm still thinking about it or whatever. Do you then kind of ask the same question like, well, when would be a good time to follow up or what do you need to think about? And then if they don't respond, how long do you wait to follow up? Those are both really great questions. So yes, and you're going to be a human being. So the, the biggest thing about sales is when you stop being a human being, then it becomes salesy. I once had a guy call me. I often get calls from these business radio talk. They're trying to sell me on buying a slot, like a 30-minute radio show thing. I literally had a guy barely ask me about my business, launch into a pitch that absolutely sounded like he was reading the pitch. And then I had some questions. So I'm a, you know, I'm a human being. So I said, oh, before you go on, can you tell me more about this or whatever? He literally said to me, if you just let me finish my pitch... <laughs> I will, all your answers will be, your questions will be answered. Oh, wow. I said, okay, I'm a human being. And no, that's not how this works. <laughs> and of course, I had even less, in, even if I had been interested, I just, so, you know, be a human being and you'd say to them, hey, I don't want to bug you too much. If you're not ready to buy, that's fine. What would be a good time frame for me to follow up with you? If you don't hear from them. So typically I would do something like this. Make sure you know, or try to get to know something like I'll know within a week. Okay. So if I don't, so what I'll say is, so if I don't hear from you by Monday, I'll reach back out to you. Okay. And that way they're off the hook a little bit. Like if they're motivated, they'll reach out. But if not, they know I'm going to follow up. And you go into your computer, into your CRM system or however you keep track, your counter and you put on there call so-and-so or email them. Send them an email. Don't hear back from them. I usually give them 24 hours to respond. Send them another email. You have another 24 to 48 hours. If you have their number, you could text them, call them. Always call first. It's the most effective way to make sales. I hate to say it. In this day and age, people do respond to text. At some point, and I got this out of a book about negotiation. At some point, if you don't hear back from them, What you want to do is you want to get them to tell you, are you ever going to call back? Are you ever going to respond? So what I will do in mine is I'll say in the subject, did you give up on coaching? Because if you talk to me about coaching, then I want to know, did you give up? So did you give up on your podcast? Because what you want people to do is to have to defend themselves. Like, no, 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 I'm still interested. 
And if they did give up on it, they'll say, yeah, I gave up on it. Mm. And then you have your answer. Mm. But you keep going. I have people that I'm still emailing from like a year ago. Oh, wow. And I have a guy like eight months later. Yeah, I'm still interested. Until you tell me no, you're going to hear from me. But in in a human being way, like, don't want you to think I forgot about Mm -hmm. you. Okay, so keep following up, though, until they explicitly tell you no. Somebody tells me no, then thank you. Now I take you off my list. But until you tell me no, how do I? It could be yes. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things about selling. Always consider a no to be a no for now, Mm -hmm. because it could be future. Like in your case, they want to do, I'm assuming you're helping people produce their podcast. Uh That's what you're saying, right? Okay, so... You know, do you ever have the feeling like sometimes like you're so excited and you're like, I'm going to do a podcast and then let me reach out to Sarah and she's going to help me with the podcast. And then you talk to Sarah and then you would say to them, well, here's what it takes to do a podcast. Oh, I got to get a recorder. I got to get a better microphone. Oh, all right. Hmm. Well, let me think about that because I don't have a better microphone. And then they go off and like they do their life, right? And then they, two weeks later, they still haven't looked at the microphones that you sent them. You know, one way I'm planning on combating that is actually including a microphone in the press. Like, just (laughs) send them one. (laughs) Great. You want to be removing barriers. What are your barriers to to doing this? Mm -hmm. What are your barriers? And that's great. Like, I don't have a microphone. That's right. That's why I included the (laughs) microphone. That's awesome. But you can see how, like, people get really excited and then – you know, they get in, we've all done it. And you get in your life and you're like, maybe I'm not that. Once you see how we imagine it's going to be and the reality of how things are is often very different. Did I answer your question? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm curious, the book that you're talking about, is that the one by Chris Voss? Yes, the Chris Voss. I have it. I haven't started reading it yet, but I have a million books that I haven't started yet because for every book I read, I buy like, I actually got four books in the mail today. So, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm all about books. Actually, I got onto the public library and I do audio books now. And so I listen to them all. But yes, that is his book. And it's an excellent book. He does it in the framework of sales, Mm -hmm. how to help. And that what he says about that is that when in negotiating for hostages, no is a position of control. So this goes back to what I was just saying about the no conversation. If I can say no to what you're asking me, now I'm in control. Let's say you were coming to me and saying, would you like to start a podcast and I'll be your producer? And I would be like, I don't want to commit to anything yet. So I'll say no. That doesn't mean I don't want to start a podcast and have you be my producer. It just means that right now I want to say no, because I'm in control. And that's the value of when you send an email, did you give up on coaching? You want them to say no, because they feel like they're in control. Like, what if you could turn sales on their head so that you are looking for the no in it, Mm. so that you're not so afraid of it? Hmm, That's a good point. And yeah, just for clarity, uh, the book by Chris Voss, I forget what it's called now, but it's, he used to be an FBI negotiator. So you had mentioned hostage. So I I just want to make it clear that that's why you're using the word hostage, that you're not referring to like a potential. He wasn't kidnapping people, right? He was a negotiator. Or that you were holding your own clients or potential clients as hostage or whatever. (laughs) Anyway, so being pushy or salesy is one of the roadblocks. What are some other roadblocks? 
Well, we were leading to what we're talking about right now around the no is the rejection. Mm -hmm. People don't like to be rejected and they hear no as rejection. And that isn't rejection, as we were just discussing. No could mean many, many, many things. So it doesn't even mean they don't want to use your services. It could mean that they are, as he said, that they're just not ready. It could be that they don't have the money yet. It could be that it's just not the right time. It could be they don't have enough information. They need more information. So another really great book and actually TED Talk is 100 Days of Rejection. His name, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it exactly correctly. He's a Chinese. So it's Xi, J-I-A, Jing, J-I-A-N-G. Hilarious TED Talk worth, I've watched it 10 times at least. Really awesome. It's called 100 Days of Rejection. And the book is really good too. What he does is he realized he was not doing well in sales because he was too afraid to be rejected. And he's got a funny backstory as to why that is. So he deliberately goes out to get rejected for 100 days. And he did stuff like walk up to in Burger King, you know, they give you drink refills. He went up to the counter. He was like, can I get a burger refill? <laughs> They're like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I get a drink refill. He did it so that he could get no's so he could get better at it. And what he learned through the process, which is the big lesson is he got more yeses than he was expecting. He was making these outrageous asks, like driving up to people he didn't know houses and asking if he could plant a plant in the backyard, like stuff like (laughs) crazy things like that. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds really funny. It's very funny, entertaining, very educational. But what the big takeaway is, the phrase I use is make bold asks. So if you're afraid of being rejected, who, who didn't live through seventh grade? I mean, we're all afraid of being rejected. But- what that does is that makes us dumb down and and ask for only what we think we're going to get. And a lot of times, if you ask much bolder than that and bigger than that, you're going to get much more than you expect. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess the saying is, if you don't ask for it, you won't get it or you won't. Yeah. Some, something along those lines. Yeah. You're, you're already, the answer is already no. Right. Yeah. You don't ask. The answer is no. Because right. it was no, because you never asked. And I know another roadblock and I've I've had a variety of businesses. It's interesting you had mentioned photography several years, like over a decade ago. One of my first businesses was a photography business. I was trying to remember where I was going with that pricing. I was trying to figure out pricing, and right, and because there was there's so much competition, I figured, well, the way I can stand out is be like the most affordable wedding photographer in Dallas. Which then I knew a, a DJ who was also in the wedding business of DJing, and he was like, no, you don't want to do that. But I couldn't think of any other way at least getting started to stand out so i think that's kind of a problem that people run into is because especially in some sort of saturated market they tend to i guess undercharge or they're like well how do i stand out if i don't do that yes and i'll tell you how you'll stand out if you do that you'll look cheap and people won't think that it's worth it i don't know if you've noticed or if you do it yourself but people value what costs more, even though it actually doesn't bring any greater value per se. People value that higher. We, I don't know, is a Mercedes that much better than really any other car on the market? I mean, at this stage in our life, I don't know, maybe they 
have better heated seats or something. I'm sure that there's fancy stuff, but you're getting in a car and you're driving down the road, but you feel different when you're in a Mercedes. So the worst thing you can do for yourself and your business is to discount. And now, does that mean that you feel totally confident asking for, I mean, we all have our limits. So for instance, in the coaching business, you can find a coach for $100 a month and you can find a coach for $5,000 a month. There are coaches that charge you $100,000 for the year. Are they that much better? What is different though is if I'm buying a $100,000 program, how committed do you think I'm going to be to getting the value out of that? Mm, Probably 100,000 times as much. (laughs) Yes, that's right. So if you're wondering, for those of you out there that are like, coaches, health coaches, or just anybody, you know, you're wondering why people don't see the value in your and commit to you and your relationship. It's because the more invested they are, the more likely they'll participate. Mm-hmm. And that could be time or money, by the way. One very popular way to get new clients, like in my business, in the coaching business, is to do webinars and things like that. So I do free webinars but they're an hour or an hour and a half. So you're investing that time. So people tend to look at it both ways. All you will get if you cheapen your price is cheap people. Yeah. And I, and I've heard and experienced that a lot of times they're more high maintenance or more demanding. Yes. I don't know what that phenomenon is, but there's a hundred percent that is very accurate. I, I saw like a little meme that was going around some of my groups that I was in, it was like $500 client. Well, if I'm going to pay $500, then I want to make sure I know what the value is. $5,000 client. Sure. Where do I send the $5,000 to? (laughs) So what are some tips for determining your price? I mean, I guess we've established you don't want to be on the low, you know, bottom rung or whatever, but I guess then you could look at competition, I suppose, and see what they're charging and try to match that or something or offer more services than they do or something like that. But I guess what are some different ways to do that? Well, the very first tip that I want to say is I want you to detach your price from your worth, what you think you're worth. Worth and value are two different things. Value is how much money people are willing to pay for the return they're going to get on it, what depends on what they value. Worth is more subjective from the, well, was was it worth it? Was it worth it for me to be out a little late last night playing music with my friends so that I was tired this morning? Like that's too subjective. Like, yeah, it was worth it in the moment, but it wasn't worth it this morning when I woke <laughs> up, you know, because I was tired. People have what one of my biggest, I guess you could call it a pet peeve that people do in their businesses is they think that they charge what they think they deserve or are worth. Just eliminate that. And I'll tell you why. Do you know people that aren't that good at what they do that charge a lot of money and get, like you probably know other podcast producers that maybe aren't including their (laughs) microphone or they're not as detailed or they're not, they're not understanding. And you're like, that's how you produced it. Yuck. But people are paying them money. It's not about how good you are or anything. It's about how much you're willing to ask for. That's the first thing. And what I will typically do is, yes, you'd like, you know, what's the market value? But again, a coach that could be anywhere from $100 an hour to 
five or $600 an hour. I don't think that you're going to be successful asking for an amount of money that you're not completely uncomfortable with. So what I try to get to when I'm speaking to my clients is I'll say, all right, what do you want to charge? And they'll be like, $300. I'm like, all right, how much you been charging? $50. <laughs> okay. What's well, between 50 and 300 where if I said to you right now, here's a client and they're ready to buy from you that you would, I almost don't want to say the word comfortable, but you would be confident in asking for that. And they would probably say something like a hundred dollars. Like they've been charging 50 because they feel like, oh, I can't ask for more, but I should be able to, because, you know, coaches get $500. No. What are you, when you say the number out loud, do you know that you're doing yourself a service because you're committed to providing that value and that, you know, in the, in the scheme isn't like at the bottom. When it comes to talking to a potential client or customer about the price, is that something that you let them know up front or you, I'm assuming it's not really something that's discussed until... Unless you have your prices displayed on your website or something, then some people do mm -hmm. that. So we were talking, I was talking about value earlier. So no one is going to buy from you unless they see the value, no matter how amazing it is. No one is going to buy from you. And like, if I went and just got on the street and I said to somebody, you know, I'm the best business coach that you have in New York city. I'm the best. You are going to make so much money if you work with me. And they go, I'm a doctor and I work in a medical office and I don't want a business. It doesn't matter how good of a coach I am if they're not, if they don't want to be an entrepreneur, if they don't want to make more money. So not to say that I couldn't coach them, I probably could, but they, there's no value there for them. So the first thing you're doing on any sales call is you are creating value. Why would they want to use whatever it is? The answer cannot be because it's great. I had a woman selling, you know, looking to sell me face skincare stuff. And I wasn't going to spend $200 on like face care stuff that I, because it, I'm sure it's amazing, but there was no value for me there. I was like, I'm not really a moisturizer kind of person. I don't know. So do is it worth it for me to spend $150 on this jar of moisturizer. So connect the value. That's the first thing. Okay. If you are clear that they see the value and what you're selling. So for you, so tell me, Sarah, why would I hire you to produce my podcast? So I think as far as how I stand out, if that's one of the areas that you would cover, is that I'm not doing just a podcast production. Like I do the producing the show notes, the transcripts, the audiograms, the social media, all that stuff. And a lot of companies do that. But I'm also going to do coaching, auditing, education, things like that as well. So it's kind of, it's more all encompassing, kind of helping the person. Well, first of all, if they don't have a podcast yet, help them launch it and figure out what's a good name for it, what, how niche down do you need to be, let's get a good cover art, all this stuff. If they already have a podcast, and maybe they haven't been getting it produced, or they've been doing it themselves and want me to do it or whatever, my plan is to listen to what they already have, at least one episode, like they can send me whatever episode they want, and then audit it, basically, tell them what they're doing good, what can be improved, so on and so forth. And then regular coaching and things like that, education, put up some videos about different things. So I think that's 
at least what might make mine different. Yeah. Okay. I love everything that you said. And and it's perfect how you said it, if you don't mind me using as an example, putting you on the spot a little bit. So what you just told me is all about how your program works. And that's great. But I still don't know what the value is that the end of the day for me. Okay. Well, so the value would be that, first of all, it would save people time. They Okay. Like a lot of Thank you. I want to save time. Go ahead. A lot yeah. of t- Tell me more. A lot of time because for me, for every hour episode that I do, it usually can take three to five hours of post-production. And I'm finding that it isn't so much the recording that people have an issue with. It's the post-production. They might have a million episodes recorded, but all the post-production is overwhelming. And so saving them time, even, I guess, technical knowledge and skills... Okay, so a higher quality product. Right, yeah. It sounds better. Helping them find ways to monetize the podcast. Okay, now I'm seeing value because I want money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help you monetize your podcast. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully you have examples of people you helped do that. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah, because there's a bunch of ways to monetize a podcast. And it depends on what their business is as to what makes the most sense. So yeah, I would say the value would then be mainly time savings, ways to monetize, the fact that they can just record and forget the rest, all the back end stuff, even like the show notes, transcripts, all that stuff. Yeah, they're they get to do the fun part, right. which is record, get the guests, record, do all the fun stuff we're doing now, and then and like for me, I'm the guest, right? So I get to walk away and go, I can't wait for Sarah to send me that podcast so I can promote it to all of my list. Right. I didn't have to do any of the editing or any of that. And then one other thing which you didn't mention, which I'm assuming is important for everyone, is like, how do I get listeners? Mm. How many can you're going to get my podcast listened to? Right. I don't, after that, I don't care about all the details of it. Like, that's one of the things that we like to do is we like to give the details. So, for instance, I do a workshop, haven't been able to do it through COVID, but through like once to twice or three times a year, I do, I do a workshop in my house here in New York City called the Abundance Breakthrough Course. And it's a fabulous weekend. I mean, it's fun exercises. You really learn a lot about your experience about abundance. It's just, all of my workshops and every all the webinars and everything I do is all about personal transformation in your business. Okay. But you know what? People don't want to come to a workshop. What they want is abundance. They want to have an abundant business. So even though I know this podcast being, you know, frugalpreneur, I know a lot of people are figuring out how to create abundance. This is what we're all looking to do. They don't want to come to a workshop. Even though it's a really cool time, like by the end, you're like, yeah, best friends with everybody. I'm not Canyon Ranch. I'm not, you know, I'm not Sandals Resort, right? You're not coming to me to enjoy sitting in a chair for three days. You are coming because you want to create that experience of abundance. So that's the value. So you always got to get to the value with people. They're eventually going to ask you, how does it work and how much does it cost? Now, like you say, if you want to put stuff, I don't happen to put my pricing on my website, not because I do different prices for people, but just because until I've spoken to you, I can create value. If you think by working with me, you're going to have an abundant business that is allowing you to have time and money freedom to launch and grow that abundant business, you might look at my prices and go, because I haven't created any value with you yet. I haven't shown you about how I'm going to 
talk to you about your vision and, and get you in the plan and be accountable and get rid of those hidden barriers and those mindset issues. Once you feel like that's possible, once I think you're going to help me monetize my podcast, now I want to talk to you about how much it's going to cost because guess what? I'm going to make money back because you're going to help me monetize my podcast. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, people are eventually going to ask how much it costs and you want to be prepared with an answer. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to ask about it or to, to say it. And if they go, oh, well, whatever, I don't know, you return back to the value. Mm. Oh, well, I had heard you say you wanted to monetize your podcast. So tell me more about mm -hmm. that. And point out the alternative. So like, so are you prepared to spend five hours doing all this back-end stuff for every episode? Yeah, just to show me the value. Again, the value is, so how much is your hour worth? Mm -hmm. Right. You could pay me this and I'll get it done for you professionally. Mm -hmm. Or listeners, let's face it, you got to sound good or people are going to turn us off. Mm -hmm. Let's get you professional. And do you really, wouldn't you rather go do record another podcast episode? How much is your time worth? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this has been helpful for me. And I'm sure, obviously, the listeners, but even for me, I feel like I've already got a kind of a one on one consultation type yes. thing. <laughs> It's great. Yeah. And I love that you were willing to have me use your business as an example, because you're exactly in the space that I love to work in because you are, you're start, it, it's so vulnerable in the beginning of your business or when you're trying to move to a new level, right? Like you've been doing podcasting for a while, you know how to do mm -hmm. it, but there's this area called talking to other people and getting them to give me money for it that feels a little different and vulnerable. And that is, so they, there's a saying, new level, new devil. Have you ever heard uh -uh. that? Yeah, it's a great one. So like, you're just doing your life and you're doing your thing. And then you go, oh, I'm going to do this. So even if you think you've got it handled, new level, new devil. Now I'm going to step up to the next level. I'm going to do my own podcast. Oh, okay. Now I got listeners, new level, new devil. Let me get other people and help other people and produce their podcast. Let me monetize it. So there's always that little space of vulnerability around us and our businesses. And yeah, like how much should we ask? I don't like the feeling of being, it's embarrassing. I don't want to be pushy. I don't like to be rejected. All of those things, they're completely natural. And these are, you know, this is what I help people do is to get past those things. Well, that's awesome. And yeah, people can find you at Liz Wolf Coaching. That's Wolf is W-O-L-F-E. And then I'm going to have show notes with the things we talked about, the books we talked about, the TED Talks and all that at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Liz Wolf. And did you have any last minute words? I do. I always have last minute words. Well, first of all, thank you. Yes, Liz Wolf with an E and LizWolfCoaching.com. And there is a free download on my website for Overcome the Five Fears of Selling. So there's more information in there about that. You're welcome to do that. And you can find that on my website. And I want to, what I, my parting words would be, I wrote a blog the other day about how it's hard to be an entrepreneur. And these are the things we wrestle with. Like it is a little bit uncomfortable to get in those sales conversations and it is hard. So don't be fooled into thinking that it's supposed to be easy. Because when you think it's supposed to be easy, or at least easier than it is, then you start doubting yourself when it gets hard. And I just want you to know that being an entrepreneur is hard. 
And it's supposed to be hard. In the famous words of Tom Hanks in that movie, A League of Their Own, he says, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would be doing it. Mm -hmm. The hard is what makes it great. So it's the hardest part of it, (laughs) but it's okay. It's supposed to be hard. And of course, if you would like any support, reach out to me and I would be happy to give you that support. Well, awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today and all your insight. Yes. And thank you for inviting me to be on the show. Really appreciate it. Look forward to hearing from everyone. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.